0: Welcome to Movie Maniacs, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chuck Curry alongside my partner, On our weekly uh, podcast radio show, Movie Maniacs, it's Kenny B, uh, the program where we talk about anything and everything related to the world of movies and television. Lots to talk about on this week's segment, Ken, uh, box office totals, uh, movie news, some stuff in movie history and TV history, and also to coincide with the release of John Wick 4, which is doing a nice tracking number, I'm going to talk about that. In a second, I think we'd talk about some action films, and we're going to veer off into uh, our top ten later half. Of the broadcast, top ten uh, supporting characters in action movies that we sort of like dig. Not saying the best of all time, but these are the ones that we find relatable, fun, exciting, interesting, so on and so forth. Uh, we can be heard on WWO, uh, WO, out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, every Saturday night at midnight uh, on our podcast, and also we're heard on
1: WXPM uh, channel ninety-eight point five. FM in uh, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, and of course, my list are the ten best ever because you know I'm a little bit conceited.
0: Uh, I understand that. So, how have you been? What's new in your life?
1: I am doing well. I'm. Um, I got. I got mulched yesterday. It's always. It's always exciting. I got. I got mulch put down in my garden. It's always okay, exciting. That's not
0: really- It uh, it is. It
1: it is. When you walk out into the, because, you know, my my landscaper came and did it. You walk outside into the garden and you smell that mulch. Mm, I love the smell of mulch in the morning.
0: Yeah, well, at least it shows that the weather is starting to turn. The worm is turning on the weather. We've hit uh, 60 now for a couple days, which is really super nice. And uh, we're long-time coming uh let's b- b- bounce right into uh a, a box office totals interesting here because I-, I think this is a big story for a few reasons shazam fury of gods was the number one movie over the weekend at the box office did 30 million dollars it was tracking around 35 but the fact and the reality is ken that this is a movie that cost 125 million dollars for dc warner brothers Thirty million dollar open is not really sufficient for a movie to be profitable worldwide. Meaning overseas, it only did thirty five million. So sixty five million worldwide out of the gate on a budget of one hundred twenty five million. Now we booked it at the theater that we're both involved in, Pocono Cinema. I, I got a chance to watch most of it. I got to say, it does have a lot of entertainment value. Indeed, I, I thought the the uh, the sound mix. Was excellent. A lot of the action sequences pretty good. Uh, I guess m- my issue with Shazam in general is that it's hard to get motivated for me to want to watch a movie about a superhero that basically has the mind of a, of, a, of, a, of a child, and that is the Shazam story. I think in the comics, Shazam was a little bit more serious when he became the adult superhero, but in these movies played by Zachary Levi, he pretty much is a... Uh, Childish persona as Shazam, and I think that, in a lot of ways, has turned some people off to, to wanting to see this film. Uh, it, it, it's very well made. Uh, I, w- I would say that. Uh, like I said, it, it has a lot of good action. As hot, it is a good family film. I would definitely recommend it for families. I mean, anybody saying, "Oh, this is you know, sort of uh, childish, almost like a Batman." and Robin what Joel Schumacher did. That that's a re- ridiculous criticism. Not many people saying that, but I think the persona of, okay, do I want to get in my car, turn the ignition on, drive to a movie theater and see this movie in, in the in the superhero craze, which I think and I'm gonna talk about this in this in a second. Is in its at least mid stages, if not a little bit longer in the tooth, but I just want to say, I think this is just a feeling I have. Now, I said on the air that I believe my prediction is that Warner Brothers The Flash movie, which has got great buzz, and they're going to screen it at CinemaCon in April, two months before it's theatrical release, Uh, a movie that Tom Cruise asked for a uh, personal screening at his house because he heard such good things about it, and sought out the director uh, after he watched it, To praise the movie, I do think The Flash, Ken, will be the number one grossing film of 2023. I just think Michael Keaton returning as Bruce Wayne Batman and the buzz on this film is going to get a ton of people into movie theaters and repeat viewing. Having said that, after the release of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and now Shazam! Fury of the Gods, both disappointing somewhat at the box office, Ant-Man, did uh, obviously a lot better, over 200 million domestically. Disney I think wanted more of this but 30 million for Shazam is definitely underwhelming and I think you're seeing the signs of a genre that a lot of moviegoers I think will stay away from some of these secondary characters if you said to me there's gonna be a Superman movie I'm excited Batman movie I'm excited there's no Iron Man to get excited because Robert Downey Jr. is out of that universe there's no Captain America with Chris Evans because he's out of that universe these sub-characters like Ant-Man Shazam and you got the Marvels coming out with Captain Marvel and an ensemble I I think these movies are going to be more hard pressed to be guaranteed hits because the genre has now gone on a very 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 long time and we've we've said you know multiple times on this program you had the western genre went on for a long time and then sort of phased out buddy cop movies were were a craze and then sort of Hollywood stopped making him the straight comedy you don't see comedies like you used to uh, have uh, that was a commonplace in movies and you got Marvel which is set up just to do superhero movies now you have James Gunn leading DC over Warner Brothers just to do superhero movies it's whoever makes these decisions, that people are going to want to see superhero movies for decades to come. I don't think that is the case. I stated again that the reason a franchise like James Bond has worked for decades since the 60s in the first Bond movie, which I believe was Dr. No, is because they do a James Bond movie every three to five years. If you you did two James Bond movies a year, uh, that franchise would have petered itself out because it's just too much. And I think... Shazam and the box office disappointment is Shazam, is proof positive now that uh, the erosion is in uh, is in effect here. You have thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, a couple things. First of all, they'll keep making them until a couple of them bomb. So I mean, that is their their model. They know and
0: they'll make them after that too, because they're not going to give up on this because there's so much money and rooting that has been invested. But uh,
1: okay, but clearly, I, I should, they'll, they'll keep making them until the until well after it's run its course, so it hasn't done yeah. that yet. Um, yes. I, I guess when you're saying that this will be the top-grossing uh, movie of 2023, that's not counting 2023 proceeds of Avatar, because it's not going to yeah, okay. gross a I, billion I and that. a half. No,
0: you're right. I'm, you're correct. That's a good enough And
1: I thought, I thought Shazam. I didn't realize what it was about. I thought Shazam was about uh, Jim Neighbors and Goldmer Pyle.
0: bring back uh jogging the uh the uh the the, the, the memory rank there on that one.
1: Yeah Car- Sergeant Carter Shazam
0: Yeah Golly golly
1: season. golly
0: now you talk about a unique talent that was a unique talent. Uh other office news of interest Scream six which was number one last week dropped off sixty one percent over a very big opening weekend seventeen point three. A very solid seventy five million in two weeks of release. Creed three added another $15 million to its take, 47% drop, and week get number three, a very solid $128 million here domestically. They keep talking about more Creed movies in the Creed universe, the potential for streaming projects. I just don't know what characters in Creed that you could spin off. I mean, Jonathan Majors, yeah, I guess, uh, but he's not, I don't think, overly established to do that. I don't know what other uh, franchise characters you could do to spin off in this universe, but uh, that's... Michael B. Jordan is saying Uh, 65 uh, big budget well 90 million dollar dinosaur sci-fi movie with uh, Adam Brody Uh, Uh, 5.8 million in weekend number two 52% drop off Uh, week 22 million in 10 days of release Um, cocaine bear 3.9 58 million in four weeks that's a uh, that's a good number. And Jesus, um, this this religious film, uh, forty six million in, in, in three weeks of release. That's a uh, that is a good number. And also, John Wick four hits theaters this week. Uh, that is tracking around a seventy million dollar opening weekend for a hard R action movie. That is a great number. So again, there's definitely more interest. Much much more interest now. Post uh, uh, the most it's ever been post. Uh, COVID and pandemic where people are going to the movies getting excited to different products hitting hit theaters on a weekly basis. I think the difference between now and, and, and pre-pandemic is, you know, there was three or four movies that that came out each week and now there's just one or two still need more product in the uh, overall pipeline. But a $70 million John Wick 4 would be a very nice number for uh, the studio and uh, theater owners, Ken.
1: Yeah, indeed. And... uh you know the thing is it's we're still a couple of years at a minimum away from pre-pandemic levels and we we have to realize that you know all you can look for is a steady increase not necessarily getting back to where we were because it is it's going to take a few years not, not necessarily because people don't want to go to the movies but it's going to take a few years until we have the product
0: yeah i mean it's going to it's going to take time and also have the changing of people who got committed more to a streaming, but, uh, you know, you give them a product that has viability and can excite them, they're not going to want to wait three weeks or whatever it is now for streaming. They will venture out uh, to a theater to see it on a big screen uh, and have a collective movie going experience. So uh, uh, before we, we bounce into uh, this week in, in TV or movie history, have you seen anything since the last uh, program?
1: I have not seen, I did see a movie the other day and it's thoroughly forgettable, so I must have uh, forgotten it. But for those, you know, I like to tell people about binging, and today's binge might be the funniest series I have ever seen. It is on Amazon, it stars Jeremy Clarkson, who is the host of the UK version. Of who wants to be a millionaire and you know it started in the uk and came over here he's also a longtime host of different um, motor vehicle shows in england this guy starts farming a farm in the cotswolds in uh, in england it's called clarkson's farm it is 16 episodes it is the most hilarious thing because it's sort of like think of think of me picking up a power tool that this guy's the same way with the farm implements and everything else. Buys the biggest and best, and of course, none of it ever works. If people want a really good, fun uh, show to watch and learn a lot about farming, you actually do learn a lot about it. Uh, watch it. It is just perfect UK humor, and uh, I've watched almost all 16 episodes at this point, and I'm thoroughly waiting for season three.
0: Okay, sounds good. You know, I, I uh, this is veering off movies, but it does delve into pop culture, so I want to bring it up. You know, I'm always looking, now that this, the weather's getting nicer, I want a big ice cream parlor in, in, in East Strasburg, Pennsylvania, and when people come in, I have a 65 bench 4K TV. Mike Rags, our, our other co-host, going to laugh at that because I'm always texting him what I watch, and when I say 65 4K TV, he's like, well, that's really not uh, that, that unusual as almost everybody has one now in their house, but make a long story short, I've been putting on some of the older wrestling matches at my ice cream parlor, and it gets attention. People sit down and, they, and they, they're glued to it. So lately, I've been putting on the WrestleMania 3 match between Andre the Giant, who t- turned heel, and Hulk Hogan, which to me was a terrific match. And there's a couple things I noticed about that. One, Andre the Giant clearly was a highly interesting pop culture icon, Hulk Hogan was iconic. I can't believe that match. Ken was thirty six years old now. Thirty six years old, but since Andre the Giant put Hulk Hogan in WrestleMania three. But the last thing I want to point out is that the combination of announcing in that match of Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura, those guys were amazing announcers. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon, who was a former wrestler, had a knack for saying. Uh, the most memorable lines as an announcer. I know it's not real sport, but uh, him and Jesse Ventura, when I look back at that match, very impressive uh, banter between the two. Now, I don't know if you how much wrestling you watched back in the uh, in the eighties and nineties, but I got to tell you, looking back on YouTube where you can watch that stuff, very entertaining and uh, really does jog the memory bank. I enjoy watching that. How, how
1: much wrestling did I watch back in the days? Well, you know, I had two daughters and. Uh... We watched it religiously. Every year, we would have a huge pizza party, invite my wife's family, because they were also wrestling fans. Her aunt was once cursed at by the Iron Sheik. Now, that's important. Uh, We would have a huge party every year for WrestleMania. And when we were living in England, we went to SummerSlam the uh, year that it was in London. So, huge fans. And I remember WrestleMania uh, WrestleMania 3 very well, because... Interesting story, at least for me, uh, we were starting a weight loss competition at the company where I worked, and that was the last day before the first weigh-in, so I ate a lot of pizza, bulked up to 225 pounds at the time, and I ended up winning the competition dropping over 60 pounds during it.
0: Uh, well, that that, uh, that is that is, a, that is a good thing. I just want to also point out 94,000 mm-hmm. people. silver dome back in uh his 90s i think it was 93 which is uh
1: amazing no uh, we I were sold
0: you, uh, but i'm mean, going
1: to show the international appeal we were right sold 7 it was. we were sold yeah. out at we were sold out at the wembley stadium in london so there was probably that many for SummerSlam as well
0: yeah i mean the crowds they pulled in back in the uh, 80s and early 90s were simply incredible i got some uh some fun stuff here this week in movie and TV history, let's go. Okay, this week in movie history, March uh, 22nd, 1982, Paramount Pictures releases the big screen version of Annie. Now, they spent $9 million for the, 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 the theatrical rights. They produced it on a budget of $35 million, which is fairly expensive back in 82 for sure, and it grosses $55 million Domestically at the, uh, the, the, the box office. Uh, John Houston directs the film. Uh, 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 Cal Burnett, Albert Finney star, and, uh, her name, what was her name? Aiden, Aiden, Aiden Quinn played, Right, uh,
1: right. Aileen
0: Quinn. Danny. I gotta tell you, this is my opinion of this film, because I watched this film, uh, not too long ago. I always felt that Annie was a great Broadway play, but it was a tough. Uh, I think it was tough to translate uh, to be a really great movie on the big screen. It had its moments, and I thought she was excellent as Annie. And the, the scene, the, the the musical number "Hard Knock Life" is brilliant, highly entertaining. But there's a lot of scenes around it that I think fall. Somewhat flat. I, I think it's like a 6 out of 10 movie. Uh, I don't know how well it, it would hold off for audiences today, but uh, they put a lot of effort into it. I just don't think it's as it good as it could have been. Uh, ultimately, the studio did get their money back, but it uh, was not the massive hit that they wanted uh, in 1982. And I know you love musicals, so give me your thoughts. Yeah, well,
1: first of all, yeah, it's too bad Andrea McArdle was too old by that time to play Annie, because, of course, she was perfectly. And, uh, um the the one of the original waifs on Broadway was Daniel Brisbois who uh, starred on Archie Bunker's place as Archie's uh, n- n- niece right, right I remember her but um I actually prefer the television movie ABC did with Audra McDonald as okay. uh, miss, as uh, the um Daddy Warbuck secretary so um right. yeah it was it's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a great show, and I agree. It's it's one that really does well on the stage. And, um, you know, there's it's just not that much there, I think, at times for it to really be a movie. But it made a great made-for-television movie because you're watching it at home.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I think it has a lot of merit. I just think it has a lot of fault, too. Here's a really interesting story back in the, in the uh, annals of, of history that's movie-related. March 22nd, 1941, Jimmy Stewart an American icon enlists in the U.S. Army, becoming the first major movie star, Ken, to serve in uniform in World War II. Think about think about that as a moment in history where the country was, the patriotism, uh, an icon, a movie star like Jimmy Stewart, en- enlisting in World War II. That's an amazing story if you think about it.
1: It, it is. And I mean, I, people, at least once a day in some of the... Um, Facebook groups I'm in mean, on baseball, people say, well, if Ted Williams didn't lose five years to the military, you know, he would have been this, he would have been that. It was, it's The amazing thing is because those of us who grew up in the Vietnam generation, the generation of the Middle East, of course, people who are rich and famous don't serve. It was totally different than, you know, in Afghanistan, we still can remember the you know, Pat Tillman because... He was a football star who went and enlisted and, of course, died in Afghanistan. But yeah, the, yeah. the number of people that served in World War II was absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, if somebody told me, I don't, have, I don't know the whole story, but in terms of John Wayne, uh, I, I heard that the U.S. government told John Wayne, you know, don't don't serve in the military. You'd be better suited, suited you know, uh, pitching war bonds and, and picking up the, the morale Of the country. I don't know all the details of that story, but uh, I I much respected Jimmy Stewart for doing that back in 1941. Uh, TV News of Interest this week in TV history 1980. uh, Dallas had a cliffhanger episode in which J.R. Ewing, played by Larry Hagman, was shot by an unknown assailant. It created tremendous buzz, and the episode that premiered the next season uh, was Who Shot? JR episode, which I think pulled in almost 100 million viewers for that uh, episode. Got massive publicity, cover TV Guide. They just, the publicity on that episode was, was incredible. Uh, ultimately, it was revealed that Mary, Mary Crosby, who played the character of, of Christian Stewart, Sue Ellen's sister, was the perfect person who uh, shot JR. But boy, oh boy, Ken, you couldn't buy publicity like that back in the day in
1: 1980. No, absolutely, and you know that that just—I've always said—if I ever was found shot, there'd be so many suspects they wouldn't be able to figure it out. Jr. was another case like that.
0: Uh, you, that would probably be a Netflix uh, documentary, though. Yeah,
1: probably. Netflix.
0: Yeah, I don't think it would air on CBS. Do you?
1: No, no, no. I don't think so either. Last one before we bounce into our main
0: topic. When our main topic is going to be <coughs> our ten favorite supporting characters in action movies to coincide with the release. Of John Wick for, how's, how's this one, May 23rd, 1998, Titanic in the 70th uh, Annual Academy Awards wins the Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, terrific night, in my opinion, because that film deserved to win the Oscar and multiple Oscars that it did that night. I'd argue, uh, Mike would also, that Titanic is the best film released, in my opinion, uh, since 19... 19- Ninety-seven, but uh, Titanic wins the Oscar for Best Picture, March twenty-third this week in, in movie history and I love TV history because it was the Oscars on ABC
1: nineteen ninety-eight. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not the, the as big a Titanic fan as you are, but you know, it's a, it's a good movie. I, I don't like the combination of the, the disaster film and the love story because I think it waters down both. But uh, you know, it's. I don't know that I like it as much as you do, but yeah. when you talk about mega hits and being mega popular, that was definitely the case.
0: Uh, I would... Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I do think that the merger of Love Story and, and uh, basically two different movies in one, I think that's what the, that was the brilliance of it. And that's really what, to me, going to movies was all about. That was an epic, uh, complete experience. i uh, stated many times I saw that movie seven consecutive weekends with my wife in a movie theater even driving in an ice storm one time to the regal theater in easton to go see it when my business was uh closed i liked it and and, and every and
1: every single time she goes oh oh i'll never let go i'll never let go jack oops sorry bye
0: (laughs) you didn't create that joke but you continue that joke yes uh,
1: all credit all credit to jim dalakis
0: Okay, our top ten favorite supporting characters in action movies uh, for this week's uh, podcast radio show. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with my ten through six. Here you go. Here we go. Number ten. I'm gonna go with uh, Alfred Pennyworth, played by Michael Caine in Chris Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, beginning in 2005. Batman Begins. There's been numerous actors who played Alfred. Uh, on the big screen first was Michael Goh in Tim Burton's Batman I thought he was really good uh, and then Jeremy Irons in Batman vs. Superman I thought he was also uh, really good uh, but I gotta tell you I, I, I think Michael Caine who had a long career up until that point a lot of ups a lot of downs but he was perfect casting I, I just think his chemistry opposite Christian Bale was spot on he gave her a, a, a relevance and a gravitas to that movie, the first one, Batman Begins, which which elevated throughout The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. So uh, I love me some Alfred Pennyworth played by Michael Caine in that action-oriented franchise, uh, The Dark Knight. So that's my number 10. My number 9, uh, I go back to 1994 in True Lies. I never thought I would walk into a movie theater, Ken, and say, boy, I can't believe how good and funny... And interesting, Tom Arnold is opposite Arnold Schwarzenegger in True Lies, playing his uh, his his, his uh, cop partner. He was awesome in this movie, and I never would have thought it. I wasn't a huge fan. I wasn't even a fan. But I got to tell you, I gained a lot of respect. Uh, never did a sequel, but it would have been nice if they did. So Tom Arnold uh, is a character called uh, Albert Gibson opposite uh, Harry Tasker's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Jim Cameron's brilliant. Very entertaining, very action oriented, true lies back in 94. Number eight, I went with, uh, gave a lot of thought to this, but I can to tell you, I love Richard Krenner. Uh, his Colonel Troutman in First Blood and then the other two Rambo movies, Rambo 2, Rambo 3, he really was good in these films and played brilliant, brilliantly, gave a lot of grounding drama off of S. Stallone's Rambo character. So, I like Richard Crenner a lot. Terrific supporting character in the Rambo franchise. So Colonel Troutman's my number eight. My number seven, I went with Joe Pesci's Leo Getz, the accountant turned uh, 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 informant in protective custody. His banter, Joe Pesci's Leo Getz with Martin uh, and Roger, played by uh, Bill Gibson and Danny Glover, was so good. And he, he, he was introduced, Leo Getz, in Lethal Weapon 2 and later came back at three and four was not in the original, but what a great addition to this franchise. And, uh, along with, uh, uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, Joe Pesci brought so much energy, so much manic energy, so much comic relief. And he was just a blast having a good time. And it translated very well on screen. So that's my number seven. And my number six, I went with Sam Jackson Zeus from Die Hard 3. Uh, but that movie, to me, Die Hard with a Vengeance, is a really, really solid entry, not only in the, the Die Hard franchise, but also in action movies. Thoroughly involving uh, Sam Jackson's at the top of his game. His bandit with Bruce Willis and chemistry is spot on. Uh, good character is a storekeeper who gets involved in this crazy, crazy storyline. Uh, I, I like Zeus a lot, so that's my... Number six. So that's my ten through six,
1: Ken. Okay, my, my number ten, and I, I also, my number ten is Joe Pesci as Leo Getz. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because they didn't think there was enough humor in a movie where you have somebody almost getting blown up sitting on the toilet. Can you imagine realizing you're sitting on a bomb when you're sitting on your toilet? But you talk about banter, and I'm going to clean this up. This is my favorite banter in that entire series. When... They give when Leo gets gets the wrong sandwich. The blank they blank you at the drive-in. Okay, they blank you at the drive-through. They know you're going to be miles away before you find find out you get blanked. They know you're not going to turn around and go back. They don't care. So who gets blanked? All Leo gets. Okay, sure. I don't give a blank. I'm not eating this tuna. Okay. And then in unison, Merton Riggs, shut up. That sums up Leo Getz in Lethal Weapon. My number nine, I keep bringing this one up, and I, I try to do the ones I keep bringing up early on so I have some new people toward the end, but I'm still going back. I really loved Puss in Boots, as you know. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I think Harvey Guillen's Perito helped really make the comedy of that movie. Played so well, it's hard sometimes to really... Convey emotion when you are just doing voices. I think Perito has played extremely well. That's my number nine. Okay. My number eight, Telly Savalas has played psychopathic soldiers in more than one movie. <laughs> I think. I think he actually had a, a patent on it. And John Cassavetes actually was nominated for an Academy Award as Victor Franco in Dirty Dozen. But to me. The best supporting actor in Dirty Dozen was Telly Savalas as Archer Maggot, who is a total psychopath. And he gets his end, of course, in that movie. He sort of gives up the... uh, He breaks cover, sets off an alarm, and Jim Brown ends up having to shoot him, uh, playing the role of Jefferson, to keep the the mission going. But he just played the perfect psychopath, in that in that movie, and uh, you know he was great at it. In, num- in number seven, you know we always talk about Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock in Speed, and they gave great performances. Uh, they were on the soft side of it, if you will, because they're the ones trying to keep the bomb from exploding. But the real, to me, the real performance in that movie was Dennis Hopper as Howard Payne. Because Dennis Hopper just plays, he also plays a great psychopath. Number six, I'm going with Ed Harris. He played the rogue general in Welcome, or in, in The Rock in 1996. Of course, it involved, it included Sean Connery and Nicolas oh, Cage. Shit, that's a great pick. But Ed, Ed Harris was, he, he was just brilliant. So that is my...
0: Called, It's a very complex character that is ambiguous in in his motivation. That's what I really like. The writing was good, and Ed Harris is such a good actor that he really does keep you on edge in terms of what you're supposed to feel for that character. Whether he's a straight villain, or he's a complex villain, or or he is not a villain, that's what I like so much about that. That is that's a really good. And
1: the great thing about Ed Harris is he is never one who overacts. He's always Ed Harris, whether he's good, bad, or indifferent. And yeah. he plays that extremely well. So that was my number six.
0: Good, good, good uh, pick. Now we're going to go five <laughs> through one, 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 at, uh, one at a time. My number five, I went with uh, T.U. Quinn, who just won the Oscar for everything, every all at once, best supporting uh, the award presented by Harrison Ford, who was his co-star uh, in... Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom back in 1984, where he played the character of Short Round, which is my number five. Of You know, it's interesting how perception and reality for people uh, are different, and whether you, what, what you like or what you love uh, or what you don't like is all subjective. And, you know, people always talk about, when they talk about the Raiders of Lost Ark franchise in Indiana Jones, I think 90% of everybody always says Raiders of Lost Ark is the best indiana jones movie and i like it but i love temple of doom I just I something about it. it's a little darker i think it moves more i i, I think it has more action than, than even raiders and uh I, I just thought that character short round added so much to the proceedings a little boy who is friends with indy and there's a line in that movie oh, yeah. toward in the last act when Indiana Jones is under the possession of this, this uh, psychiatric uh, drug and, and, he, and, he, and he, he doesn't know who he is and he has to do evil things and Short Round says to him, Indy, I love you. Uh, and, and it's just a great, powerful scene and T.U. And, uh, and Quinn is, is awesome as a child actor. In this movie, he's manic, he's fun, he's natural on screen, and adds so much to the proceedings. I'm a huge fan of the film. This is my favorite indie movie. So, my number five, short round from uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doomkin.
1: All right, my number five. You know, when you have a uh, a movie about a, uh, a criminal, and uh, the criminal actually isn't a bad person, the last thing you can have is a sympathetic cop. Because then it just becomes the cop trying to get the criminal off, and you don't have any real, uh, you, you don't have any conflict, and you can't have a good movie without conflict. So you know, we all knew Richard Kimball was innocent. I didn't kill my wife, and what's the response of the U.S. Marshals to "I didn't kill my wife"? I don't care. My, you know, the job of U.S. Marshal Sam Gerard was to bring Richard Kimball back in. He didn't care whether he was guilty or innocent. He was going to go after him, and he was going to get him. And Tommy Lee Jones just perfectly played that dry, cranky cop who's just doing his job. And uh, to me, Tommy Lee Jones was the star of The Fugitive and uh, not the supporting actor. But you know, Harrison Ford, of course we got Star Billing. I don't think that movie would have been what it was without Tommy Lee Jones, and he's definitely, to me, one of the best supporting actors in a movie that was all action. So I'm going to go with Tommy Lee Jones from The Fugitive in 1993.
0: It's a good pick, very good pick. Here's the thing about that movie. I would love to know... I didn't do research because it wasn't on my top ten, but I love the pick, and it's, it's, it's a really good movie, and he's Tommy Lee Jones is awesome in it. I wonder... Because there's a lot of different ways that the casting director in and, and, and the studio could have went with that role. You could have went with a lesser-known actor. You could have went with a high-profile actor, equal to Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, I wonder how many different actors they looked at before they settled on Tommy Lee Jones. I have to believe that they probably looked at at least five well-known actors to play that role opposite Harrison Ford. They got Obviously, they hit a home run. And they got the right one, but I mean, I just would love to know who else they considered to play uh, that role, which obviously won him an Oscar for best supporting actor in his own spin-off film, U.S. Marshals, a couple of years later. My number four favorite supporting character in an action movie, I don't want with Jeff Goldblum's Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. I remember sitting in a theater at the Ziegfeld, 1150, uh, 1150 seat sellout in New York City opening day, me and Mike rags an amazing time what a collective experience the audience is going bananas I love Sam Neill as Ian Malcolm uh, I love Lord Dern uh in that movie but uh Jeff Goldblum's quirkiness was on full effect as Ian Malcolm the ma- ma- mathematician uh his line readings were highly entertaining I can't imagine another actor playing this role yeah he starred in Jurassic World a couple of years later the sequel and he was good but it just felt a little bit like a different character as a lead versus supporting but his supporting turn again is Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park to me is iconic in the realms of pop culture so that's my number four Ken
1: my, my, numbers, my number four And when I'm, looking, when I'm looking up some of the details on this I realize that this actress could have only been 13 when she actually was filming the movie, a thirteen-year-old filming a movie where she's training to become an assassin to avenge her parents who have been killed by a corrupt DEA agent. Of course, it was Matilda in *Leon*, the professional, or *Leon* if you want to be Americanized. Uh, which um, you know, Natalie Portman just played so played that role, and you go back and you look at it and you go wow, this is a teenager that's playing this very dark, uh, very uh, gritty role of a uh, young girl who forms a relationship with a professional hitman and is being trained to be an assassin on herself, So, uh, or of herself. So, really love Natalie Portman in 1994's Leon. Yeah, I was going to put
0: that on my list. I, I just felt she was more of a <clears throat> coastal, but i got to tell you, that that is a great movie. <laughs> very interesting movie, Complex, not without its controversy, uh, that, that film, but it's so well made, one of the best action movies, no doubt of that decade, and really, it made it, it made it an overnight star of Natalie Portman, who really, I think, did her best work, maybe did her best work in that film. Black Swan, she won an Oscar for her. that was terrific work also, but her as a child actress, uh, Beautiful Girls, another example, she just had something very special, uh, Worldly about her that was really good 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 pick Ken. my number three I, I went with the I went a little bit different direction but I went with the, with the character of R2-D2 uh, in the Star Wars uh, movies uh, especially in the original tr- trilogy Kenny Baker originally played uh, was the, the human in, in, in that in that in uh, that
1: Yeah, and you have to give. Uh, you almost have to give honorable mention to C three PL because they're almost as big uh, as good as yeah. as uh, some of the other you know some of the other pairs from movies. Uh, yeah, well, I
0: don't want to make C three PL feel bad, so okay, I'll throw them in. But I loved r two D two. Now, I
1: I wouldn't be surprised if this is on your list still to come up. But my number three is from two thousand eight. It's from The Dark Knight. Heath Ledger, who played the Joker, and who. Some people think that he got so, in. They, some people think that his diving into that role, and I mean, the guy was in that role, uh, had something to do with his ultimate demise. But, um, you know, one of the most disturbing performances ever. Some of his and libs were absolutely crazy. And, uh, you know, some of the best scenes were actually Heath Ledger doing something that wasn't in the script. And, um, you know, he made that movie, I think. And unfortunately, you know, of course, he wasn't able to come back and do it again. So I have Heath Ledger from the joke, as the Joker from 2008's Dark Knight.
0: Good pick. Yeah, I gotta tell you, what, what makes that so memorable, especially when you're the first time you walk into a movie theater and you saw the Dark Knight uh, and you see Ledger pop up on screen as the Joker, is he, he's scary. Like, I mean, that character... Is scary. He has an intensity and an aura about the way he played that character. I mean, he's all in. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know how much method acting went into that. I mean, there's different uh, opinions on method acting and how deep you dive into a character to really get into it. But he clearly was into it. Uh, it's a scary performance. It is an intensity to that performance that uh, is hard to match, uh, r- really good uh, really good pick, Ken. My number two, I've talked about this character more than a few times on this show, but I had to put it on this this list. Uh, in the movie Kick-Ass, which I love, one of my favorite, not only superhero movies of all time, but I would put it in my top 50 favorite movies of all time, and that's Kick-Ass. And I'm speaking about the character of Hit-Girl, played by Chloe Moatice, a foul-mouthed uh, iconic superhero in this movie. Yeah, he's cool kick-ass and Taylor, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson is the lead, but uh, every time she pops up on the screen, uh, opposite, Nicolas Cage is a father big daddy in this movie. is simply brilliant stuff. Uh, I've screened this movie a few times for some of the female sports teams at the local college East Strasburg University and they have loved, and I mean loved it, and they love the character of Hit Girl and so do I. Chloe Mortise, a very special child actress who just was simply great in this role. So Hit Girl, one of my all-time favorite movie characters, certainly on this list, and that's my number two.
1: My number two, you know, I I could have used his role in The Dirty Dozen. I could use his role in a bunch of other movies. I think he probably, I think he was probably a supporting, not sure whether he was supporting or a lead actor in M.A.S.H., but part and you know I love the Hunger Games trilogy. I know you're not as big a fan as I am. You needed the perfect counterfoil to the to the heroine in the Hunger Games trilogy, and of course that was President Snow. And Donald Sutherland played that with such a it's it's almost at times he's, al- he's almost dispassionate. You know, you think you ask yourself is this actually a human being? He played President Snow like a like a real sociopath would play President Snow. I think he definitely added a lot to that movie. I think it was great casting. You could have gone a bunch of different ways, like we were saying uh, before with uh, you know the the casting of um, Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive, but just something about Donald Donald Sutherland. He's all he's always got that quirk about him and it was just perfect for the Hunger Games actually if we ever did and I don't know if there's enough of them ever do father son combos but uh, Kiefer and Donald are two of my favorite actors because whenever Donald Sutherland is in something he always plays it in his own way and I, I just I just love I love the Hunger Games trilogy although for the movies it was actually four and not three but that's okay uh, and, uh, you know, President Snow, you needed somebody to play that the right way. He definitely did. And he looked the part being, you know, with all the white hair he has now, he was just perfect at playing President Snow. So that's my number two. Good,
0: good pick. You know, Donald Sutherland's obviously an interesting actor. And, and, you know, when you go back and you think of what Hollywood and what general audiences wanted in their leading man, uh, you know, you have to. Believe Donald Sutherland in some ways, like Walter Matthau, fit a certain niche back in the day. You know, uh, when you look at, uh, and for me, my favorite Donald Sutherland movie would probably be Invasion of the Body Snatchers in '78. uh, Would they cast an actor in 2023 uh, who sort of looked like Donald Sutherland in that movie? Probably not, because Hollywood's looking for different things in terms of pulling in an audience, but. Audiences were much more sophisticated when Donald Sutherland was at the height of his game. He starred in the movie Clued with Jane Fonda. Uh, I love him. uh, Even a movie like Max Dugan Returns. Terrific. And uh, as for Keither, uh, a a, a good movie actor, but a great TV actor. really hit a massive home run with Jack Bauer on 24, one of the most iconic television programs to ever air on uh, the TV airwaves. But Donald Sutherland... Uh, you've got a really good talent whose career spanned a very, very, very long time. Good pick, Ken. My number one, for me, an easy choice. Uh, I went with the character of Newt uh, in James Cameron's Aliens uh, from 1986. Uh, young actress, Carrie Hahn, who was 10 years old, was picked out of, out of, a, of, a, of a casting call. Never acted before. The scenes opposite Sigourney Weaver and Aliens, uh, who are primarily playing, even though they're not officially a mother and daughter, are just beautiful. Uh, The bond between them is unsurpassed in movies. Uh, Their journey in this film is just simply great. She was awesome. The camera loved her. She was super appealing. Her line readings were just perfect. She had an intangible... You can't put on paper until the camera rolls. And what's interesting about Carrie Henn is this was a one-and-done Ken. This was the only movie she ever did. And besides talking about aliens on some documentaries, never made a movie. And she became a school teacher in England. Uh, I think she's now in her 50s. Uh, amazing uh, how good she was. Never acted before, never acted since, but knew would be my number one from James Cameron's Aliens, one of the greatest movies ever made, the greatest alien movie they will ever be. Uh, Carrie Henn is new easily, my number one in Aliens back in 1986.
1: I had trouble coming up with the number one. So I went out and I, I surveyed a hundred moviegoers. Really? Yes, and, and I had their top ten answers on the board. And then I decided I would go with their number one. Answer, you know who it's going to be? Just, is, just...
0: Richard, is it Richard Dawson and Running Man?
1: Richard Dawson and Running Man.
0: Holy cow, that's good! I, very nice segue. You know <laughs> you, I got to tell you, that's a great pick. And I'm going to, got to tell you, in uh, in May, uh, as part of the Spotlight series at the Pocono Cinema, we are going to screen The Running Man. Third Saturday of the month. I like lo- good. You talk about it, but I love Richard Dawson's performance. In this movie,
1: it's a good pick. Yeah, I mean, who better to have as your, your TV host? And but do you do you know who wrote the novel that Running Man is based on? Yes, yeah, Stephen King. No, he didn't. Oh, was it Richard Matheson? No, it was, it was Richard Bachman. No relationship to me. Really? Which was a pseudonym for Stephen King. Oh, but the, okay. But the book, okay, very
0: good. the book,
1: yep. the book was actually published under the name Richard Bachman.
0: A short story, right? Running Man was not a full blown
1: novel. I, I believe correct? that's. I believe that's correct. Yes. Okay. But you know that that and that. I mean that movie. You've got Arnold. You've got Jesse Ventura. You've got Mary Maria Conchito Alonso,
0: who but, is definitely an interesting uh, actress, no doubt about
1: it. But you know Richard Dawson is the. Yeah, he's not only the host, but he's really corrupt as well. But uh, did such a such a good job. It would not have been the same if they had gotten the current host of Family Feud to play the role. No,
0: I don't think so. I mean, no. I like Steve Harvey, but uh, Richard Dawson... Here's the thing about Richard Dawson. I mean, Family, he was really... Uh, before he was a talk show, uh, a game show host. I mean, Hogan's Heroes. He, he, he you know, he was an act, a trained actor, he, and he's a good actor. And he really brought uh, something really good. I remember back in the day, I, I, I compared... Oh, one critic, and I agree with this, said, you know, Darth Vader's a great villain, but, you know, uh, give some credit to Richard Dawson because he's pretty darn good, too. And he really was a good villain in The Running Man. He did a great job in that. And, and he
1: was he was a great panelist in Match Game.
0: Now you're bringing back real memories. When I used to come home from school watching the Match Game episodes, I think they had like a 3.30 on, on CBS uh, uh Gene, Gene Rayborn right uh, yeah, was, yep. was the host yep and then you had Charles Nelson Riley and Lee Merrywood. That, that was that was a terrific that was a terrific game show and Richard Dawson was one of the mainstays uh, on, on that game show
1: you know we we, we we got done a little bit early today but you know and one thing that strikes me is sure. when, we, when we go to movies we always talk about the stars but think of how many movies have risen or fell based upon the supporting cast and often the supporting actor isn't somebody who's on the screen less time he's not somebody who's less important he's somebody who just gets supporting billing because he's not the big star at the time he does it but uh, supporting actors uh, and sidekicks and uh, nemesis oh, I agree 100%.
0: here's a, here's a thing. good point very good point let's go into real quick into the non-name supporting actor or actress a lot of times there's characters that pop up on screen you don't know their name you're you're not that familiar with them or you may be a little bit familiar with them they don't get a lot of recognition they don't get a lot of fanfare there's no awards but their performance on screen for maybe a couple minutes uh, really makes a difference and their acting sometimes is so good you don't even realize they're acting you just assume they're that person that they're Playing and, and that is the the, the, the the greatest compliment you could pay uh, an actor. I, I, I that's a good very good point. But the you know the the talent that we talked about on this list, a lot of them, most of them, they're well known and they've they've done done a lot. Some done a lot of work, some not as much. But uh, all these characters are the staple of what movie going is uh, all about.
1: Yeah, and somebody like Pesci or somebody. Uh, like uh, Natalie Portman, the that supporting role, or if you want to call her a star in uh, *Leon*, although she didn't get star billing, but uh, the it really sets the stage for their career. I, you know, Pesci's career got a huge bump from from doing those movies.
0: And if you look back at Pesci's career, uh, it, it's not like he's done hundred movies. I mean, he's primarily known for *Leo* gets and the Weapon*. Uh home alone, one of the wet bandits, uh good casino. Yeah. You know, it's not like he's done a hundred roles, but the stuff he's done is is iconic and obviously uh my cousin Vinny would be uh, right in that stable of great work. And
1: you know the amazing thing is there's a wide range in what you just said from the the extremely funny in my cousin Vinny and uh you know, also in Lethal Weapon to the total psychopath that he plays in Goodfellas. I mean, it's uh, it and is it's, interesting. You know, and
0: there's nobody could can play psychopathic better than Joe Pesci because he is he is one scary dude in those Martin Scorsese movies.
1: Absolutely. Hey, this has been great, Chuck. It's been a lot of fun.
0: I agree. And to the audience, always, you know, thanks for listening on WoWo and our podcast and on ten.
1: On Cool 98.5 WXPM.
0: Okay, to uh, the audience, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts.